All right, so we are in our last week in our series on Romans. Uh, we're in, uh, been in Romans for quite a while now, a couple of months at least. Um, actually, more than that because we took a break over Christmas, so we've probably been in Romans since you know, October or something like that of last year. So we are uh, finishing up this week, and uh, I'm pretty excited about what we're starting next week. Next week, we're going to be starting a series going through 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel is going to be cool. Uh, it's been a while since we've gone through a narrative book in the Old Testament like that. I think the last time we did was Exodus, which was probably two years ago. Uh, and so we're going to be uh, going through First uh, Samuel. There's some incredibly awesome stories in First Samuel. Uh, and what we're also going to be doing, I want to give you a heads up. This week they should be coming in, but we're going to be getting uh, the ESV. Ha- they they have uh, the ESV journaling Bible uh, comes out with individual books of the Bible. And so I've ordered a bunch of copies of First Samuel. So on one side of the page, you'd have the text, and on the other side, it's just lines. And so what we're going to do is we're all, for the next couple of months, we're going to read through First Samuel together, and I'm, it's our gift to you. We're going to give you a copy of First Samuel, the First Samuel Journaling Bible, and that way we can read through it together. Uh, and you know, two months through one book, that'll give you plenty of time to kind of read through it slow enough and maybe journal a little if you want and try that out. So uh, we're going to try it, see how it goes, but it'll be fun. Uh, looking forward to doing that with you guys and just walking through First Samuel together. But first, first we've got to finish up Romans, and we've got a uh, an exciting um, message, I think, this morning, because um, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is missions. So I'm going to read the text. It's, we're going to be in Romans 15, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 24. And as always, there's Bibles on the table in front of you, in front of you if you need one. Uh, And the words will be on the screen behind me. Romans 15, verses 14 to 24. And just to kind of remind us, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Rome, to Christians in Rome. Uh, These are people he's never met in person, but he he knows some people there in the church. And uh, he's obviously got, uh, you know, uh, he loves them because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, And this is Paul Uh, kind of beginning to wrap up the letter. Here's what he says, starting in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem All the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
All right, so um, the book of Romans is oftentimes described by commentators and scholars as a missionary support letter. Uh, and I happen to, to agree with that assessment. I think that's right, and I'm going to show you why here in just a second. You may have already picked up on it when we were just reading that text. So uh, Paul um, you know, takes a long, you know, a big chunk of Romans, Romans 1 to 11, to make sure that he lays out the full gospel, and he explains why in verses 14 to 16. Let me kind of paraphrase what we just read and kind of put it into layman's terms because it can be the language can be kind of tough to wade through. So what Paul is saying is he, he's saying, I wanted to remind you guys, you Gentiles, of the gospel. Uh, and so that in verse 14, he says, I'm satisfied about you, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge and able to instruct one another. So he's basically saying, he's like, look, I'm not laying out the gospel because I don't think you guys know it. I, I know that you know the gospel and I know that you're able to instruct one another, but because of the responsibility that God has given me as an apostle to the Gentiles, I feel a sense of responsibility for you. And so I wanted to remind you of the gospel. I wanted to remind you of the truth to help encourage you and to help you continue to stay, uh, to, to, to cling to the truth of the gospel so that you'll stay firm to the end. Uh, because my desire is that you would grow in your relationship to God and grow into holiness. Okay, so that's what Paul says in the first part. And then he says, now, just because I'm an apostle to the Gentiles doesn't mean I have anything to boast about. He says, it's in Christ Jesus that I can boast because it's by God's grace and God's power that many people have been saved in every region in Asia. You know, he even says um, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, there's no region left for me to go do work in because there's churches that have been planted in every region, right? So Paul, and, and what Paul's doing is he's giving glory to God for that, saying like, I can't boast in that at all. And he says, then he says, so because there's no room left for me here, I am going to go to Spain because God has put a call on my life to go and take the gospel to places where it has never been before. That's my specific call, he says. So I'm going to go to Spain, and I want to go and finally be able to see you guys and spend some time with you on the way, and I'm going to uh, hopefully, hopefully be helped uh, on my missionary journey by you as I go to Spain. So he's saying, I want to spend some time with you guys, and I'd love for you guys to be able to support me financially as I make my way to Spain to take the gospel to places where it hasn't been named, okay? Does that make sense? So that's kind of like paraphrased version of what is going on in this passage. Um, and so what Paul's going to do is he's going to make his appeal. When I say it's a missionary support letter, he's trying to lay out the reasons that they should be concerned about the gospel going to uh, places that haven't heard it yet. And he's trying to lay out the reasons that they should participate and be involved in uh, that mission. So what he does is he explains the goal of missions, and then he explains the means of missions, and then he talks about the call of missions. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the goal of missions, the means of missions, and the call of missions. Okay? So, first of all, the goal of missions. What is the goal of missions? Here, I, And I'm going to give you a one-sentence definition for all of these three points, okay? And I'm going to give it to you up front this time instead of waiting till the end of the point. The goal of missions is this. God is saving a people for himself, taken from among every tribe and tongue and nation on earth who will live to glorify him forever. 
Okay, so the goal of missions is the glory of God. The glory is God being glorified by people from every tribe and tongue and nation on the earth. That is the ultimate goal of missions. Now, are there sub goals that fall underneath that? Absolutely, yes. Uh, you know, one of those would be that people would be saved from an eternity in hell. Obviously, that would also be a goal, right? Uh, there are, you know, so there. Are, but the overarching goal would be the glory of God. So Paul describes in verse 16 uh, here that when people turn to Jesus and they are sanctified, uh, that that is a, uh, that is pleasing. That's a pleasing offering to God. So verse 16, he says that I'm a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. So Paul is literally looking at his work. He, in fact, I don't have this pulled up, but let me I'm going to turn to Colossians 1 and, and show you this in another um, passage to kind of, because I think this, he says it more clearly in Colossians, uh, the point that he's trying to make. Let's see. All right, so in Colossians, here's what he says. In uh, verse 28 of chapter 1, he says, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. So what Paul is saying is that he's saying, my, my call, the call of God on my life is for me to go and to help Gentiles see the gospel of Jesus, to turn to him and then help them to grow in Christ's likeness because that is what brings God glory. When sinners are converted, when they are born again, and then they begin to be transformed into the image of Jesus and to once again reflect and bear the image of God perfectly like they were intended to do from the beginning of creation. Does that make sense? So that's what... Uh, so Paul almost looks at it as like this is his offering to God, this work that he's doing. So um, he talks about this. He, he, sa- he tells the Thessalonians, he says, you are my boasting and my crown, right? The, like the people that he's led to Christ. Like, so like that's what he lives for. Uh, that's his offering to God is to be able to just be of service to God. Now, there's a, there's a theological term that we use to talk about the mission of God. It's called missio dei. Um, it literally means mission of God in Latin. Uh, and, and God's mission, like we said, is to be glorified by all the things that he's made, especially by people, by you and by me. Um, so I've told you before, we talked about the whole, the Bible is one big story, right? And sometimes it's helpful uh, if you want to understand a story, to go and look at the ending of the story, it kind of ruins the drama. But you know, we—it's this isn't the type of story where we want to wait a long time to figure out the ending. This is the type of a story where we want to know what the ending is, right? So, good news is, is that we do know the ending. It, it shows up in Revelation chapter five and Revelation chapter seven, both of those where it says that there were people from every tribe and tongue and nation that were sur- that were surrounding the throne of God, and they were on their faces and they were saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty." The whole earth is full of his glory. People worshiping him from all languages, from all over the world, every skin color. And that is the happy ending that the Bible shows us. That's that's the happy ending that, that the Bible wants us to see. It's the goal. Uh, Malachi 1.11, God puts it like this. 
He says, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Are you seeing the theme? And, and, and you can really, if, if you go and you read through the whole Bible, you'll begin to see this theme all over it. It's everywhere. It's in every book. God deserves glory because it's by Him that everything exists. There's nothing greater that exists than God. He has always been and He will always be. And, and we, as human beings, we're guilty before God because we do not bring Him glory and we break His commands. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. He paid the sin debt for anyone who trusts in Him. And so right now, we're living in a grace period. It's a time in which God's arms are graciously open wide to anybody who turns to Him in repentance and faith to be forgiven of sins. Have you made that decision? Have you done that before? You shouldn't wait another second if you haven't. We're in a, a period of grace where we can freely come to Him. You know, as Christians, um, we ought to pray for God's glory as well. Uh, the Bible makes that very clear that, that uh, in fact, uh, when the disciples came to, to Jesus and asked them, you know, Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus gives them kind of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, the first line in the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That, that word hallowed literally means honored, glorified. So the, so the first thing he teaches us to pray is that his name would be glorified, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be praying for the advancement of the gospel among the nations. We should be praying that lips that once did not know or worship the name of Jesus would, would do so, would praise Him, would worship Him. That, that's, how, that's one of the ways that God's name is hallowed. When sinners who once used His name as a curse word, praise it, praise His name. Are you praying regularly for people in your life that don't know Jesus? Are you praying for unreached people groups, for missionaries, that, that the glory of God would fill, that the knowledge of the glory of God would fill the earth as the waters cover the seas? Let me encourage you, if you, if you haven't incorporated that into your prayer time, to, to start doing so and to pray that prayer. And, you know... Uh, Let's let me you know, lest we forget, let me remind you that prayer is what drives missions. Prayer is what drives evangelism. Prayer is what drives if we want to see anybody uh, turn from their sin and come to faith in Jesus, it's it's only going to happen through the prayers of the church. Uh, you, an example of this, 2 Thessalonians 3 1, Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he asks them, he says, Pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. This is the Apostle Paul. He's a pretty good evangelist, right? I mean, he wrote some scripture. That's pretty good, I would say. He knew his theology. He knew the gospel really well. If anybody could explain it to somebody, it was Paul. He literally wrote the theology that we study. And yet, Paul understood that unless we pray, nothing's going to happen. He says, pray for us that the word will speed ahead. 
We need to be interceding. We need to be praying that the Word of God will speed ahead in our city, in our families, on our streets, all over. But not only should we be praying, we should be participating. And that kind of that leads us into the means of missions. The means of missions. That word, the means, just means it's the how. This is the way in which missions is done. This is the way in which the ultimate goal of God being glorified by, by people from every tribe and tongue and nation, this is how that's going to happen. And the how of missions is the people of God and the power of God. God is going to be glorified by people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and he's going to make sure that happens through the people of God and through the power of God. Here's the, the one-sentence definition that I promised you guys. The Great Commission is accomplished through born-again Christians who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, proclaim and demonstrate the gospel by word and deed. That's how the Great Commission is accomplished. So let's talk about the people of God and the power of God. Let's take those one at a time. How does God use us, His people, to accomplish this? Well, in the passage, we look at verse 18 and 19 of, of Romans um, chapter 15. Paul says this, he says, I'm not going to venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You notice that? It's Christ who accomplished it, but how? How did Christ accomplish it? Through Paul, he says, through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So that little phrase right there, I want us to focus in, by word and deed. Paul says that it was by word and deed that the Gentiles were brought to obedience through the gospel. Missions is the Great Commission. It's the task that Jesus has given the church of telling the world about what Jesus has done and then inviting sinners to repent and trust in Christ. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, 18-20. Does anybody know it? That's right. That's right. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the great commission that he's given to every single one of us. Now, so Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to tell everybody about this. I want you to go and tell everybody that I died on the cross for their sins, that I rose from the dead, that I'm King of kings and Lord of lords, that I'm going to come back to judge the living and the dead. Go tell people. Now, the world would tell you that you need to keep your religion to yourself and not to push it on other people, right? Hey, you don't need to go pushing your religion on people. You don't need to, it's, it's insensitive and rude to try to convert people. It's, you know, you just need to let you enjoy your religion, but you stay out of my religion and my business, right? The world would say that everyone has their own ways of getting to God and that you should respect that. It's not loving to offend people. But here's the deal. If this is actually true, if the gospel is actually true, if, if this Bible is actually true, and we really believe this, that the wrath of God remains on men, and that Jesus is the only way to be saved from hell, which is exactly what Jesus says in John 3.36, then you've got to be a pretty hateful person not to tell people about Jesus. If we actually believe this. If it's not true and religion is just kind of a way for us to feel good about ourselves, then sure, 
don't push your religion on other people, I guess. But if it's true, then we should absolutely be telling people about it, right? I mean, am I wrong? No. I mean, I think that we should be telling people about it. Here's the, guys, not every religion is the same. That's logically implausible. You cannot make a logical argument to support that statement. And yet, all, I would say the vast majority of our population believes it because I talk to people all the time when we go sharing that tell me that. All the time. It's assumed. But it's not logically plausible. Not only that, Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. There's no other way around it. It's, there's only one way. It's Jesus. Church, don't accept the world's narrative that to love somebody, you have to watch them sleepwalk towards hell. Don't accept that narrative. It is one of the devil's most sinister lies, and it's working on the church because it's silencing ambassadors of Jesus. We must use words. We must tell people about Jesus. Nobody can be saved without them. Not only that, not only must we use words, but we must be bearing fruit that shows that we're following Jesus. We, we must share in word and deed, Paul says. Nothing will drive people away from Christ like the hypocrisy of his people, right? That's something that I hear all the time as well. People become disenfranchised with Christianity or religion because they've seen uh, a really good example of how not to live out your faith. Whether, it, whether that was at home and they saw it with their parents or they saw it with a friend who said they were a Christian or whatever. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, How can you preach God's gospel with your tongues when with hands, feet, and heart you are preaching the devil's gospel? That's pretty straightforward, right? When Paul was in prison in Acts chapter 16, um, he was being cruelly treated. He and, he and uh, Silas had been just been beaten with rods, been arrested and beaten with rods. That's not a pleasant experience. Uh, and they were chained up in prison in Philippi, and they were singing songs of praise and worship to God after they had just been beaten with rods all day, and they're in prison for, for doing nothing wrong. It was unjust. They, they did not deserve to be there. And uh, they didn't even, they were also Roman citizens who, and technically they were supposed to be protected by the law, and they weren't even allowed to be beaten with rods, but they still were beaten, right? So they had been, they had had a rough day. We'll put it that way, okay? Wasn't a good day for Paul and Silas from our perspective. And yet there they are in prison, and they're just singing songs. And I love what Acts 16 says. It says, and the, pris the other prisoners were listening to them. People pay attention. People pay attention when people are filled with joy, when Christians are filled with joy in the midst of any situation. But it got better than that because while they're singing songs, what happens? The, the shackles just all of a sudden fall off their feet and the prison doors swing wide open. All right? Now, at that point, what I would have done is I would have gotten up and I would have taken off and made a run for it, right? But that's not what they did. Why? What stopped them from walking out of that prison? Love. Because it says that when the jailer 
Notice that the doors were open. It says that he drew his sword to kill himself because if a jailer let prisoners escape in uh, Rome, well, then that was the death penalty for them. And so he figured he'd be better off just doing it himself. And Paul sees him drawing his sword about to kill himself. And Paul cried out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We're not going anywhere. We'll stay in jail. Like, really? We'll stay in jail. Just don't harm yourself. He's telling this to the guy that had just probably mistreated him, right? Yeah, had treated him like dirt, you know, had, you know, locked him up in a prison. And look what happens. Listen to verse 29 and 30. It says, the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought him out and he said, sirs. What must I do to be saved? He and his entire household, it says, believed and they were baptized that night. And he washed Paul and Silas's wounds. Christ-like love and bold gospel proclamation are a powerful combination. A powerful combination. Word and deed. Telling people about the love of Jesus, showing them the love of Jesus. God accomplishes the Great Commission through His people, and He also does it by His power. He empowers His people because we can't do it ourselves. We need the power of God. So Paul says, um, he says, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. We need the power of the Spirit to do missions. Jesus actually told the disciples uh, to wait. Right before He ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he had, re he had appeared to them, He was risen from the dead, and He told them, I want you guys to stay here and I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a couple of ways in which God empowers us for effective missions and evangelism. The first thing that Paul mentions is he mentions signs and wonders. Now, signs and wonders were often used to bring about faith in the book of Acts uh, and in the Gospels. Um, what was the purpose of signs and wonders? I, I think uh, Acts 14, verse 3, really succinctly uh, gives us that answer. It says this. It says that they, Paul and Barnabas, remained a long time in Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So, one of the main purposes of signs and wonders was, was, was God bearing witness to the word, to the gospel that they were preaching. It was God authenticating them. It was God showing that, yes, these are true apostles of the one true God. They are true messengers of the one true God, and this message is from me. God empowered the 12 apostles, Paul and the other 11, to, to perform unique miracles to show that they were truly from Him when the church was in its infancy stage. Now, miracles still happen today. 
God hasn't changed. And there are seasons of outpouring still. It's called revival. But they don't happen with the same frequency or on the same magnitude. Um, and the reality is, is that they happened uh, in seasons in the Bible too. I think we get this idea that that it was just an everyday occurrence that people were getting raised from the dead and stuff like that in the book of Acts. But uh, that's not the case. There was There's lots of time and space between the stories that we see in the book of Acts. So it was certainly a, a, a fairly regular occurrence when the 12 apostles were here, but it's not like they were walking around all day just you know healing everybody that they walked up to. Okay, I think we kind of get this perception in our heads that that's what it was like because when we read it, the story is so action-packed and acts, but that's because Luke is trying to draw our attention to the most noteworthy events that were happening, right? So of course, Luke is going to tell us about the noteworthy events. There's a, the last thing I'll say about this is, that, is this. There's a danger both in expecting too many miracles and expecting too few miracles today, okay? There, there's, there's, there's a ditch on either side that we can veer off into. There's no biblical warrant for saying that signs and wonders have ceased. I just don't see it. I know that there's some people who believe so, and there's some people who teach so, some people that I love and respect, and they're brothers and sisters in Christ. I just disagree with them. I don't think you can honestly make a biblical case from it. I think you're reading that into the Bible if you say that they've just ceased. Um, however, I also do not think that the Bible supports the notion that signs and wonders should happen all the time in the same way that we see the book of Acts. And I know that there are a lot of people who believe that, and there are a lot of people right now, and it's very popular to go around teaching that. To go around teaching that you can do the same things the Apostle Paul did whenever you want. Uh, you simply need to have enough faith and you can go out and start doing it right now uh, as much as you want. Here's the deal. I want us to be a church that prays. It's right and good for us to pray that God would grant signs and wonders to be done as accompanying, accompanying his word as we boldly proclaim it. That's a good and right thing to pray for, but it's up to him if and when he wants to pour them out. Okay, says God grants them, right? He grants them. It's it's he it's his prerogative if and when those things happen. So pray for them, but don't chase them. They're not the goal. Okay. the The most amazing miracle is not signs and wonders. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to pierce hearts with the gospel. It's that God actually causes the words we speak as we share the gospel to pierce the hearts of the hearers, not just their minds. In Acts chapter 2, after Peter, Peter preached the gospel, it says that the hearers were cut to the heart. You can't do that. I can't do that. Only the Spirit of God can convince a man that this message is true. 2 Corinthians 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the hearts and minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We can't remove that blindness. Only God can do that. God is not looking for heroic people to share the gospel. He's looking for humble people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul reminds the Corinthians, he says that, uh, this is really cool. Keep in mind who's saying this. This is the Apostle Paul, probably the most awesome, legit 
missionary, church planter, apostle ever. I mean, this dude was rad, right? Like he was just not afraid of anything. And he says this, he says, when I came to you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. Wow, Paul? In fear? Trembling? Weakness? Yes. Yes. It's okay to be nervous to share the gospel or to feel weak or insufficient. Perhaps you've become discouraged and disheartened at the lack of fruit that you've seen. Be encouraged. God loves to work through weak people. And ultimately, we say this all the time, but the results in the harvest are completely up to Him. I mean, you guys, like, well, you know, I don't, I don't need to, like, mince words. Like, you know, I'm always, I, I keep it 100 with you guys, right? I don't usually say that. I don't know why I said that, but I just felt like <laughs> it. But, um, look, I want just as just as much as you guys for this room to be filled with people, right? I do, and and I and I long for it, and I pray for it, and sometimes I don't understand why God does the things that He does, and 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 sometimes I don't understand why, you know, like literally we've shared the gospel with thousands of people. We go out every week, you know, we're out there, we're out there, and oftentimes we can go months and months and months without seeing anybody come to faith in Jesus. I don't understand. I I do not know the ways of God and how God works. But I know that ultimately it's it it's through our weakness and we don't need to be intimidated by lack of results. We don't need to be intimidated by rejection. We don't need to uh, be exasperated when we look around and go, why is it more happening? Why isn't God answering our prayers the way listen? God is answering our prayers. All right? I don't understand how, and I don't understand what his plan is, but I know that, you know, it's off, you know, it's easy for us to get like Elijah, right? And to start thinking, oh, I'm the only one left. I'm the only Christian left in Austria. Everybody else is apostate. Everybody else is just, you know, in a, going to hell in a handbasket. And what did God say to Elijah? He said, Elijah, stop it. I have 7,000 more in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I've got 7,000 more. Guys, I truly believe that if we continue to persevere and we continue to we continue to persevere in prayer and we continue to persevere in the faith and we continue to persevere in the harvest that a harvest will come that a, a time of reaping will come. I don't know when it's going to come. I can't tell you when it's going to come. But I can tell you that if we continue to pray for it and we continue to faithfully labor and we continue to go to God's word for encouragement and we don't become disheartened, it will come. I don't know exactly what's going to look like, but it'll be here. We've got, um, we've got a really cool church here. We really do. We've got a really small church. We've got a really cool church, Amen. full of full of people who I believe uh, aren't just talking about following Jesus, but they're following Jesus, Amen. right? And don't despise the small things, okay? Don't despise the small things. Jesus, over and over and over again, tells the disciples as he's teaching them, he keeps teaching them again and again and again that the principle of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is upside down. Stop looking and, 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 and trying to measure things the way that the world does. Stop looking at numbers. Stop looking at what people applaud. Don't look at those things. That's not what God is looking at. He's looking at your hearts, right? Don't despise the small things. 
So we've talked about the goal of missions and we've talked about the means of missions. Let's talk about the call of missions to finish up. Every single Christian is called to participate in missions both locally and globally. And every single church is too. And it doesn't matter how small your church is. We, I, don't, I don't believe this notion and I, don't, and I reject outright this notion that, well, we need to get to be so, so and so big before we can plant another church. Or we need to have you know, this much money. Or, or we, first, we need to get a building before we can send out a missionary. What? Who says? <laughs> I don't see that in the Bible. No, we don't. <laughs> we really don't. In fact, I think it's even better when we, send, when we send away resources and we send away people out of our weakness. I love how Paul, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's asking them to help support the work uh, uh, to uh, help bring relief to the saints in Jerusalem. And he uses the Macedonians, the people in Thessalonica, as an example. And it's, he says that they gave abundantly out of their extreme poverty. Out of their poverty, they gave abundantly. I want us to be the most generous church in Oshawa. I want us to give a bigger percentage uh, I want us to be free to give away our people, to send out, like if somebody feels called to go out and be a part of a church planning team, I want us to be radically generous with that and to send them out with joy. We're all called to participate in missions locally and globally, and it starts with where you are. It starts with where we are. Uh, it starts by sharing with the people right in front of us. Remember, we already live in a mission field. Let's not forget that. I, I know, I think Beth or Mike said that um, in worship. Um, we live in a mission field right now. Uh, according to the North American Mission Board, 98% of the greater Toronto area is unaffiliated with an evangelical church. And according to Jared Huntley, who's knocked on thousands of doors and talked to lots and lots of people, it might be closer to 99 in Oshawa. We are, that, you, did you know that we classify as an unreached people group, technically? 2% or less is an unreached people group, according to the Joshua Project. Charles Peace was a notorious criminal in England. Uh, he was executed on February 25th, 1879. And just before his execution, an Anglican minister half-heartedly read to him uh, from the Consolations of Religion, which was basically like a, a, a liturgical book uh, kind of like the Catholic uh, religion would read the, the, read the rites of somebody. It's kind of what this was. So, you know, you can just picture this priest coming in and doing his duty. Okay, here's another guy that's going to die. And so, okay, da, 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 da. And, you know, just kind of like monotonously, you know, reads off. Uh, and here, and, and uh, here's what, uh, here's a line from the Consolations of Religion that this Anglican uh, priest read to this man who was about to die. It said, those who die without Christ experience hell which is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. And Charles Peace stopped the minister at this point as he was reading. He said, hold on, stop. And he looked at him and he said, sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if I had to on my hands and knees and I would consider it worth it just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. It disturbs me that so often I fall short here. Charles Peace was right. 
That's, that should be a rebuke, I think, for all of us. It disturbs me that, that sometimes I can be so indifferent, that I can walk through the store knowing in the back of my mind that I'm passing people that are sliding into an eternity in hell. I wonder if, if someone were to offer you $1,000 for every person that you won to Christ, would you be more motivated? It's amazing what $1,000 can do to fear, isn't it? I, I, I suspect that we probably would, sadly, right? And um, what does that tell us about ourselves? I think it just tells us that we can be so selfish sometimes, that we can be so selfish. And I think a lot of times our, our fear is really rooted in, in selfishness. The only thing that will drive out the selfish impulse within us is love. Love for our fellow man who's heading to hell and love for God and for his glory. It, guys, if we don't share the gospel with anyone, then how can we say that we have the love of God in us? And I'm not saying this to, to like to shame you or to shame anybody in here. That's not my point. My point is to draw our attention to the fact that like, like sometimes we really need to sit back and go, okay, and think about what, what do we believe? And let's think through the implications of what we believe. If this is really true, and if people all around us really are sliding into an eternity of hell, and we think about how the Bible describes hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of eternal torment, right? Then that should, that should grip us and drive us, I think, much more than it really does, right? So, but the answer is not to, you know, go and flog yourself and, and go home and, and think about how terrible of a person you are because you don't care more, and boy, I really need to whip myself into shape because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bad person because I don't love all these people more than I'm walking around. That's not the answer because whipping yourself into shape or trying harder is not going to push you past fear. It's not going to push you past selfishness. The only thing that's going to drive you past that fear, the only thing that's going to drive you past, you know, deciding to, um, to protect your own comfort or your own reputation rather than walk up to that person in the mall or walk up to that coworker and to actually share the gospel is love. Love is what drove Jesus to the cross. Love is what, is what brought Jesus through the Garden of Gethsemane. Love primarily for the Father because he was willing to, to trust and obey the Father no matter what, and then love for us, sinners. And love is what is going to drive us past the fear that we have. And, and we are going to grow in that love for God and for others as we spend time with Jesus, abiding in him. Henry Martin said, The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. The nearer that we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. If you want to become more missionary, then be near to Christ, and you'll become like him. And he was most certainly a missionary. What I want us to do as a church is, and what I'm going to challenge you to do, is what we're calling the D.L. Moody Challenge. Here's why we're calling it the D.L. Moody Challenge. Dwight Moody um, committed himself, he was a famous evangelist, and he committed as a young Christian to share the gospel at least once a day, every day for the rest of his life. And um, 
he followed through on that commitment. And uh, there were actually nights um, where Dwight Moody talked about uh, where he would uh, all of a sudden like pop up uh, his head off the pillow after he had laid down at night and realized that he hadn't shared with anybody yet. And he'd run and put some clothes back on and shoes and go out into the street and find somebody quickly so that he could share the gospel before he went to bed. And he made this commitment and he stuck to it and he, he disciplined himself at times. And I'm sure there were days where he didn't want to, right? Like he was normal, just like us. But he, he committed to doing that. So what I want us to do is we're going to take the Dwight L, the DL Moody challenge as a church and we're going to do it corporately and then I'm going to challenge you to do it individually. And here's what I mean. Here's what it looks like. So next week, we're going to have a big calendar up here, okay? Uh, a, a, it's going to be a calendar. And what we're going to do is I want us to set a goal as a church to where uh, we as a church at least once a day share the gospel with somebody in Oshawa. I don't mean every single one of you individually. I mean, somebody in our church shares the gospel with somebody in this city every single day for the month of February. So that's the DL Moody challenge. I'm going to challenge you guys to do that. And then I want you to share it with somebody so that you can be held accountable. So share it with, if you've got a disciple maker, share it with your disciple maker, okay? Yes, it's going to require us to get out of our comfort zones. It will. You're going to have to get outside of your comfort zone. You're going to have to rely on the power of the Spirit. But the glory of God and the souls of people are worth it. Another Spurgeon quote, he said, God save us from living in comfort while sinners are sinking into hell. God save us from that. From living in comfort while people perish all around us. I mean, when you really think about it, what's the worst that's going to happen to us? What's the price that we're really going to pay for, for and, and like, you might get rejected every single day this week. And say this, say you even got, say every single day this month you get spit on and somebody punches you in the face every day. Now, it's never happened to me before, ever, 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 ever. And I've gone out in the harvest a lot, never happened, okay? But say, what if every day this month that happened, but one soul was going to be saved from an eternity in hell and spend eternity with Jesus, would you do it? Would it, would it be worth it? Would you take the trade-off? Then, then we have our answer, right? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's totally worth it. Lastly, the work doesn't just stop at home. Paul's ambition was to take the gospel to places where it had not been heard. And there is still a great need to take the gospel to people who haven't heard it. According to the Joshua Project, there are 7,000 unreached people groups right now in the world. And I hope that there are some in this room who are going to hear that same call that Paul did and respond to go to the nations. The question to ask isn't, do I have a good reason to go? It's, do I have a good reason not to go? We should be asking, why not? Not why. We need people to go to the the sheikh in Bangladesh There's 136 million of them, and they are 0% evangelical Christian. Zero. No Christians. 136 million people. All sliding into an eternity separated from God. Who's going to go? We need people to go to the Japanese. Thankfully, our friend Kyle is going to be going soon. 131 million people in Japan 
0.3% evangelical. Not 3%. I said there's a period in front of the three. 0.3% evangelical Christian. We need people to go to the Arabic-speaking peoples in Morocco. There are 25 million of them, and 0.08% are evangelical Christian. That's about 20,000 Christians in a nation of 25 million. That would be, to kind of put that in perspective, that would be like if there were 132 Christians in Oshawa. That's how unreached it is. If there were just 132 Christians in Oshawa, that's the same scale that it looks like in Morocco. We need people to go. And here's the deal. God's not, not all of us are called to go. Some of us, some of you will, and I hope some of you do. But the rest of us are called to participate. Paul invited the church in Rome to do that. That's why in verse 24, he said, I hope to be helped to Spain on my journey by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. This morning, we've got the opportunity to do that. We've got the opportunity to hold the rope. We've got the opportunity to help missions. We're going to be collecting the global missions offering at the end of the service, which goes towards deploying missionaries across the world. And it's offerings like these. Uh, every, every Baptist church does this. Um, and it's these offerings that make it possible for us to send missionaries to reach the unreached. Uh, these offerings support the, the International Mission Board, which has missionaries in every single country on, in the globe, every single one. And then um, it also supports the North American Mission Board, which plants churches all over North America. Uh, it supports missionaries like myself, okay? So um, I hope that, by the way, if you're going to give to that, then what you can do is you can write, just write on the envelope if you put cash you, or if you do a check, you make the check out to Fellowship Oshawa like always, but on the front of the envelope, make sure you write Global Missions Offering so that we know what it's for, so that we, it goes to the right spot, okay? So we're going to do that, but before that, I want us to do something um, even more important, and that's to spend some time interceding for some specific people groups and the missionaries that are reaching them. So you'll notice that on the tables, um, there are we've got some little cards, some little cutouts, and so... Uh, I want you uh, to get with your table, and you're going to pray for your specific people group, okay? So I just want you to pray uh, for, the, uh, the, for the spread of the gospel amongst those people, all right? So let's pray that God would open up a door for the word. Let's pray that their hearts would be softened. Let's pray for the missionaries. Let's pray for boldness for them, for provision for them, for courage for them, for their safety. Let's pray that... Um, you know, let's just intercede for a move of God amongst these people groups.